0: Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is Mike here, and you are listening to the only podcast that brings you all of the incredible stories of the leaders here in Columbus and throughout Ohio. And today on the show, we've got Alex Gertzberg joining us, and Alex is a great guy. He's got his own podcast. You should definitely go check it out. Check out the links down in the show notes. As always, we hope you enjoy this episode, and we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus, and that starts with Small Biz
1: Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting, positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's
0: smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm gonna kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX.
1: FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease-of-use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Congress,
0: let's get the show on the road. You can drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know my head kicked in
2: I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just
1: to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be
2: average. This is Conquering Columbus.
0: Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Alex Gertzberg joining us. And Alex is the CEO of Gertzberg Law Firm and the founder of Cover My Six a serial entrepreneur and a philanthropist, Alex has been involved in dozens of projects throughout his career. And CoverMy6, one of his most recent ventures, provides smaller companies and startups access to a library of customized forms to help them cover all their bases early on when it comes to a legal standpoint. And for larger companies, CoverMy6 helps by auditing their entire legal apparatus to identify and address areas most likely to cause legal exposure for damages, fines, and fees. He also happens to be a veteran of the Army Reserve, having been called to serve in Iraq, and he runs his own podcast, Best Podcast Ever, where he breaks down the successes and failures of businesses and political leaders through long-form interviews, similar to what we do here on the show. So if you guys want to get another podcast going, go check it out. But we're really excited to have Alex here to talk about everything he's got going on Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Alex.
2: Thanks, Mike. Josh, thanks for having me today. It is the um, second best podcast ever.
0: Second best (laughs) podcast. Okay, I appreciate that. You guys got uh, a really cool thing going here. Well, it's, uh, Uh, I don't know, you know, we were talking a little bit before the interview, but the the best thing about podcasts is the interviews and the chance to just really get to know people. I mean, so how long have you been doing your podcast? Two years. Two years. And
2: over that time, how many people have you had a chance to interview? hundred? On no, no, I know exactly. So we have, as of this moment, 117 posted, and there's five in the can recorded but not posted. Um, and, yeah, like we were saying earlier, I mean, I, I set a really low bar. I say if I can get <laughs> the guest and their spouse to listen, I'm still happy because I get to ask them whatever questions I want for an hour and, and learn from them and grow from them, which – you guys are doing a great job with too. I mean, it, your 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 guests are cool, your questions are great. So um, I think we're we're kind of on the same journey.
0: Well there you go. And on that note, kind of one of the first places we like to start here on the show is just talk a little bit about life leading up to yeah. founding your own law firm, where you're at today. So anything highlights along your your career, previous roles, school, army reserve, anything like that.
2: So um grew up in Cleveland, uh, on the east side. Uh went to went to Charles F. Brush High School, Um, went to college, Uh, couldn't afford to go, so I got an Army ROTC scholarship, went to Miami of Ohio, knew that I wanted to practice law pretty early on, and got into law school right away, went to Cleveland State, Uh, uh, was commissioned as an Army officer right away, served with the Um, It it was called the 762nd Army Transportation Company out of Akron. Went to Iraq in 2003 for a year. Came back. I I started my career with um, a couple of large law firms in the Cleveland area doing just litigation. So uh, almost entirely representing businesses in lawsuits. So I I cut my teeth in courtrooms and then in 2006 in the hope of getting business from this one client they asked me to go in-house over there and and so i became the first in-house general counsel for this company called broadvox which is a telecom company i knew nothing about telecom law but the joke was on them because i learned (laughs) on the job pretty quickly and uh, over the course of the next eight years in-house I did what a lot of in-house counsel do or should do when they are when when effectively they have only one client and that is to audit the client protect it from future harms not just the the current harms and that became the genesis of cover my six and so in 2012 I went to the CEO I, I told him I think that I've got a product here I think that I've developed a system for helping companies flush out their legal problems before they blow up. Um, I said, I want you to be my first client. So the CEO agreed. 2012, I started my firm with basically one client, and that was BroadVox, and that was seven and a half years ago. and, And it was one client and one lawyer and one secretary and today we have um, about 1,000 clients, we've got 14 people working there, and now I'm here.
1: So to break down the timeline a little bit more, you, you finish uh, your undergrad career and then you did the ROTC thing, they allow you to go straight to law school after that, or do you have to, because I know you have to, uh, you're obligated to serve based on that, right?
2: Right, so the answer is I went straight to law school. I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy and in order to go to the air force academy you needed to give the air force a four year active duty commitment and my dad talked me out of it and said you know if you go you're going to lo- you go to go to law school and then start practicing law right away and then if you want to go into the army or the air force afterwards that's your choice but leave that flexibility for yourself so um, instead of going to the Air Force Academy and, and then doing four years of active duty I did the Army Reserve after uh, through Rotsi and uh, did two days a month as a transportation officer as a convoy commander So that allowed me to start, pra- start uh, go straight to law school and start practicing law right away.
1: So timeline we finished law school in what year?
2: 1997 okay and then you wait a second that's not true. 2000. 97 was when I finished undergrad. 2000, I was law school.
1: And then you, you end up going to Iraq in 3 Mm-hmm. So you're just working from 2000 to 2003 then? Right, okay. right. So
2: 2000 to 2003, I'm at um, a couple of large regional firms. They're, they're, they've got Columbus uh, offices too, but they were, they were Cleveland-based. Retzel and Andrus first, and then Calfee Halter, and Griswold. Just doing business litigation for both of them.
1: And then 2003 comes along and you get called to go to Iraq. What does that look like from what you're doing for work? And then what was the experience like?
2: Yeah, it's so I remember really well when 9-11 happened. And I was in my office in Akron, at Retzel and Andrus, and I went to the managing partner and I said, I don't know if I'm coming back here on Monday. Um, I'm expecting that there's gonna be some call-ups over the weekend, right? And, um, there weren't for, well, there were, but it was for a lot of active duty personnel and some support personnel in the reserves. And they were focused entirely on Afghanistan at that time. So for the next two years, really, um, I'm waiting and waiting and nothing happens. We don't get the call. And then I remember really well in about a year later, 2002 and then early 2003, I remember watching colin powell give the uh, secretary of state colin powell give the talk to the un that supposedly proved that there were weapons of mass destruction in iraq and i was like oh man this is this is where we're going and and there were there was a lot of buzz among among the uh reservists um that that was that was the plan and sure enough january 16 2003 i got the call and uh Uh, we mobilized and we went from Akron to Fort Knox, Kentucky, uh, which was our mobilization station. And by that time I was at Calfee Halter and Griswold, which to their credit, I had just started working there, maybe two months before that. And um, I will always give a shout out to those guys because though I had just worked there for two months, you know, your salary goes down quite a bit when you're a lawyer at a big law firm, and now you're going back to a military pay, right? And they matched my salary, you know, so that, you know, I didn't I didn't take a big haircut. Um, and they, they said, your job is safe. Whenever you come back, you come back. Just take care of yourself and take care of your soldiers. I think that I was around 30 years old, maybe a little younger, and if you can imagine, I mean, I, I don't know how old you guys are, but you look like you're around thirty, <laughs> right? You look. I remember. I, I, I believe. I'm guessing that you were that you are both way more mature than I was at that age. But when I was in my late twenties and early thirties, the the prospect of being given 160 soldiers to take care of, and millions of dollars of equipment to take care of and and being pushed into a combat zone. Yes, there was lots of training and lots of support that brought me to that moment, but I definitely did not feel prepared, at least uh, from a confidence standpoint. But what I remember really well was that the day that we, and what I remembered well in Iraq was that the day we deployed, there was a line of family members who came up to me and said bring my daddy back home bring my husband back home I'm counting on you and that really at any age brings reality home you know you really start to get the weight of your responsibility on your shoulders and I I say this to everybody if you have the ability to hire a military leader someone who led uh, soldiers in the military do it they are going to be head and shoulders, all things being equal, apples to apples, right, above people of similar age and experience who don't have the leadership experience that they, that the military guy um, or gal got. It is it is an, an otherworldly, it is a surreal experience that is unmatched in um, any other setting. You know, you learn to. Lead you learn to lead people who are older than you, which is a whole different thing. You learn to lead under stress um, you grow up really fast, so it was it was there were times when when I was in Iraq and all I wanted to do was come home, but I wouldn't trade any of it for the world it was a, it was a really great ex- like just life experience, so I don't know, I could talk all day about what that was like, the, 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 sh- the, the end result, the short version is I led convoys on five day missions from a, um, a, a camp that was on the border of Kuwait and Iraq. And our five day mission was to go down to Camp Doha, Kuwait in a convoy of about, I don't know, 60 vehicles mostly flatbed trucks carrying supplies. So down one day, up three days from Camp Doha to Baghdad, and then back down to our base. And I did that for, I don't know, a number of months and came home.
0: So you come home, and I'm guessing a little bit different perspective now on the world. and, and that. So how did that change your, not just the way you looked at life and the way you looked at your job, but how did that change your path and your career path?
2: So I remember from a life perspective, not a business perspective, although it has a lot of application to business. I remember leaving Iraq saying to myself, I'm never gonna have a a bad day after what I've seen and what I've experienced, right? Seeing how the Iraqis lived and live still seeing how um, they interacted with each other and with our soldiers, and just the 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 degradation and the stress and the, uh, the just the day-to-day sort of travails of of that people. I remember thinking to myself, "I'm never gonna bitch about anything." You know, that lasted for like two weeks. You know, you get sucked back into the real world and surrounded by just those day-to-day stresses and then surrounded by like negative people and people who don't really have the same perspective, it gets, you lose focus pretty easily. But when I remember, and I try to remind myself of those times, when I remember, the perspective comes back instantly. From a business standpoint, it very much informed and still informs how I manage and how I lead Particularly with respect to people who are older than me, and particularly with respect to people who have trouble communicating what's on their mind. As an attorney, written communication and verbal communication to me and the clarity of those communications is my stock in trade. It's very important, right? You're in sales, Mike. You're probably the exact same way, right? Josh, I forget. You're sales. Also, so okay. So I'm not. It's your, it's your stock in trade too, right? But when you're dealing with someone who doesn't have that skill set or that comfort level, sometimes you have to peel back the onion to find out what the the issue is, right? So, so, so a lot of the experiences that I brought with me from the military informed that aspect of, of business. But the other one and the bigger one is it became very clear to me that 95% of the outcome on a mission was determined by the planning before you rolled off your base. So you start every mission with something called an op order or an operations order. And it is intended to be a 360 degree planning system for your convoy, right? Or for any military operation so you're thinking about food sanitation security communication right you're you're putting yourself into the position of your soldiers and envisioning every thing that is going to happen on this mission including everything that could go wrong the worst case scenario to everything's going fine that informed how i planned litigation and how i planned Um, the legal audits that eventually became Cover My Six. Good planning for any business is going to determine, I believe, 95% 95 of the ultimate outcomes. You have to leave the 5% for the unknowns, obviously, right? Um, Things can go to hell really quickly, um, and you can't beat yourself up too much when you haven't anticipated every single detail, but if you can anticipate 95%, that's pretty good.
1: So can you dive deeper into that abstract and that approach to um, thinking about all the different outcomes that could possibly happen? Because I think anybody running a business, whether even if you're not running a business and you're just leading a team or you're going through your day to day and you're approaching any type of uh, unique, whether it's a business process, sales process, et cetera, that could be a valuable skill.
2: Yeah. So cover my six is probably the thing that I can speak most intelligently about you guys could probably tell me more about sales than I could tell you about sales. So let me stick to what I know. (laughs) Let me stay in my lane. Right. Yeah. I think Um, more,
1: and that's the question is putting you on the spot too, because not on the interview, but like on the outline, but just more from the abstract standpoint of like when I'm, if you could even relate it back to your military experience, when we're preparing for anything, we're thinking about this, this, and this. So at a high level, like you know how they can sometimes take those formulations away from military uh, tactics and apply those to business?
2: So I believe strongly in two concepts here that I think might answer your question best. One is um, the 80-20 rule, right? I was just using um, the 95%, but that's really just a, uh, it could be 90%, could be 80%. But there is in general, the, uh, the Pareto principle applies in most things in life, right? What are the 20% of the inputs that you have to worry about that will give you 80% of your outputs, right? So from a holistic business standpoint, and this is something that we're working on at our firm as we speak, you can generally take that 80-20 rule and apply it in a logical compartmentalized system around business planning, I think. so. Setting aside Cover My Six, which which I, I wanna come back to because I can answer that question really well in that sense. But from a business planning standpoint, one thing that we're working on is this idea that if you are a founder, if you're an inventor, if you're an entrepreneur, there's one thing that you know better than every other thing in your business and that is your product. The thing that came out of your brain, the need that you are trying to fill that isn't being filled in the marketplace by somebody else. You know that better than you're gonna know legal, marketing, HR, real estate, insurance, right? You're gonna know that one thing. So if you can anticipate that a company needs all of those other things, then figure out, okay, what are the 20% of the things that need to happen right now that are gonna create 80% of my drive, 80% of the traction over the next six to 12 months? So those things that I just rattled off are the first things that come to mind. So if you know the invention that you've got, the, the, the product, the widget, better than any of those other things, well, compartmentalize. You know that there's going to be a need for marketing. You know that there's gonna be a need for sales. You know that there's gonna be a need for billing, accounting, right? You know that somebody has to do some legal work for you, right? Uh, You know that you're gonna need insurance. So from a sort of 360 degree planning standpoint, you're compartmentalizing that that 80%, right? Or that 80-20 into those buckets now what what we're working on now and what i think a lot of entrepreneurs have figured out certainly better than i did when when i started out is don't do it yourself right if you know the one thing your product better than all those other things you're cheating yourself by trying to figure those things out on your own i say outsource everything outsource everything um, figure out, the, the best thing you could do is figure out who the experts in each of those things are, um, are and then hit them up. Find those experts, talk to them, do RFPs. Um, um, everybody wants a good relationship, and everybody wants business, and there's a lot of them that are willing to work at your cash flow level. But I don't know if I answered your question, Josh, well enough, but from a, a pure business standpoint, that's the first thing that comes to mind. 80-20 rule, and compartmentalization.
1: It did, it did. Um, how do you translate that back to the cover my Six okay. aspect?
2: So um, it's the same principle, but here I can get definitely close to the 95% instead of to the 80 So what we figured out was that um, every business can only be sued by one of six buckets of plaintiffs. It's customers, it's vendors, it's shareholders, it's employees, it's competitors, and the government, right? This just kind of like organizing principle sort of ossified while I was at, at Broadvox. And then, I mean, this is kind of like while I'm auditing my company, there's, I mean, it had at one point like close to 200 employees, um, um, you know, it was a hundred million dollar, uh, company um, with operations, assets, employees all over the country. And, and what's one guy, one lawyer, how, how am I going to be able to flush out all the legal liabilities of this giant entity with all of these things going on? So that was the light bulb that went off for me is start with who can sue my company. Well, when you make that list and you realize there's only six buckets there. Then it's like, oh, okay. Well, what the next question is? Well, what can they sue you for? And then things become much easier if you know that you've only got six stakeholders to think about, and then you reverse engineer the claims that they can bring against you. As a lawyer, it, it becomes very intuitive, right? Now I don't need to be a patent lawyer. I Need to go find the patent lawyer because the competitor can sue my client for patent infringement, right? But I've identified the plaintiff, that's the competitor, and I've identified the claim, patent infringement. With customers, right, there's a small handful of potential claims that a customer can bring breach of contract, breach of warranty, products liability, maybe a few others right? Um, uh, The employees can bring the most number of claims. There are layers of federal regulations, state level regulations, some local laws. So the employment piece is always going to be the biggest and the bigger the company, the more employees they've got to audit. Um, Vendors, your vendors can generally only sue you for breach of contract, generally, right? Um, Shareholders, generally they can sue you only for breach of fiduciary duty and Breach of the shareholder agreement. There's a few other nuanced claims that they could bring, but if you hit those, you've got your 95%. So it's that same concept. It's this it's it's Pareto's principle plus good compartmentalization. And what so once we figured that out, then then it was it was just like kind of this flow of okay, now how can we bring this to market? And 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 can we in fact apply this system to any company and over the last seven years we we've we've brought it to all uh, dozens of industries um it's it's company agnostic industry agnostic size agnostic it's just a a good sort of user-friendly easily applied system
1: so from from the abstract and framework perspective it's this it's figuring out in the context of the scenario that you're looking at what are the mutually exclusive, collectively collectively, exhaustive outcomes and reverse engineering those to figure out the attributes and inputs that we have to take care of Yeah. to handle all of those different outcomes. So a framework, because business is such a crazy environment and, and like I like to try to apply frameworks wherever possible to try to put yeah. some organization to it um it makes a lot of sense you're you're now deploying that to all
2: the clients that you're working with we start at cover my six because so 250 years of american history and lawyers are in most cases hired reactively right businesses clients individuals generally they're calling their lawyer when it's already hit the fan when there's a summons when there's a cease and desist letter when they've got a problem that is in fact still often how clients come to our firm they got a problem we um, like a lot of lawyers out there can help them solve that problem but there's still all these other problems back there that they're not addressing So they've got two choices. They can kind of put blinders on and just keep going until the next one blows up, which means they're gonna be overpaying for lawyers. They're gonna be vulnerable. They're gonna be stressed out. They're gonna be distracted. Uh, Everything's in a public record in court. It's gonna suck. They're They're in the litigation casino. Six to 18 months of just subjecting yourself to somebody else's schedule and somebody else's whims. Or we say, Let's get proactive. Let's talk about the other things you've got. And it's easy. You've got employees, shareholders, vendors, et cetera. You've got them. You're a, you're a business. Let's talk about where you've got problems. Usually what we say is bring me your employee handbook, your customer agreement, and your shareholder agreement. If you don't have one of those, that's a problem right there. In most cases, what we get is something that they cobble together by Googling you know, software customer agreement you know if they're a software company or um, independent contractor or something like that but so it's not customized it's outdated it's probably not even been been written by a lawyer and so we start from the cover my six framework and the clients that are proactive and are forward-thinking stay for the cover my six
0: so Alex you've been talked a lot about strategy behind cover my six and kind of where the idea came from but Let's talk a little bit about how you actually roll that out and package it up and start to sell it and actually implement it, right? Did you sell it to people from your law firm? Were there other clients that you go out looking for? Mm -hmm. How did that process work?
2: We tried to do everything in real-time testing with actual clients. Somebody, I think it was Dan Sullivan, um, his quote is, do all your R&D on your check writers. So that's exactly what we did. Our first Cover My Six audits weren't even called Cover My Six. There was no brand. It was just some checklists and templates that I carried over from BroadVox. Um, Our first one was a string of car dealerships um, in, in multiple states. And so I've got checklists and templates from a telecom company. Parts of it are going to be applicable, the general corporation law, Uh, aspects of it, but a lot of it ain't going to do any good, right? doesn't transfer from telecom law to um, consumer car law, right? So there was a built-in period of time for researching and updating and customizing those checklists and templates for that particular audit. Same thing. So our next one was for um, a string of nursing homes. Same thing some parts translate well some parts don't we always did a gantt chart for our um, for our audits so for i'm so you guys probably know what they are but for for your listeners who don't a gantt chart is is um, used very commonly in construction and in long term projects and basically it tells you who is doing what and when and So our audits will have, our Cover My Six audits have maybe 40 steps to them. And some steps are done by paralegals, some are done by junior attorneys, some are done by senior attorneys. We try to use the same tactics that we would use in litigation against our clients but in a friendly way. So instead of serving subpoenas and taking depositions, we serve document requests and do management interviews, and we do spot checks. So there's this project plan with, you know, 20 to 40 steps in it. Some of which are research, others will say um, document requests, and they're all broken up into all six of those Cover My Six elements. So, and th- so after every audit we do a lessons learned session, which we do after every major lawsuit, every major deal, um, just to iterate our processes and constantly improve them. And we did that after every Cover My Six audit. And that's how they evolved. Eventually, the concept, the the name Cover My Six just sort of showed up somewhere. Military guys got it right away. People who, I always tell people, if you ever watch a buddy cop movie or a heist movie or or somebody will say, cover my six, while they're storming some enemy bunker or something like that, right? But, you know, it's 12 o'clock, three o'clock, six o'clock, cover my butt, right? So that name showed up and then a logo. We got um, a marketing company to do our branding and then created a website and eventually it kind of took on its own you know being
0: hey there Conquerors. we're gonna take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors here on the show
1: studio 301 Mike and I we've been working with studio 301 on our rebrand doing our website doing some new photography working on some logo adjustments and just really positioning conquering Columbus uh, in a more professional light and I can tell you Mike, it's been the funnest experience and the easiest experience I've ever had working with any type of creative agency. They come to the table with all kinds of awesome ideas that we're really excited about, and everything that we've come up with so far and that we're about to put out is is awesome. I'm super excited about it.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't been more excited about pretty much anything since we've done the podcast. Like, I really enjoy talking to all our guests, but this rebrand is just painted in a whole new light, and you know, Kyle and his team have been a pleasure to work with. They've gone out of their way to go above and beyond to make this thing really special, so... I think we're really excited to release this rebrand to everybody out there listening and uh, I hope you guys love it as much as we do. And one
1: of the best things is the rebrand, not only positions conquering Columbus as a whole, but all of our guests and more of a uh, professional and clean and formalized look that, you know, they deserve. We have super, super high quality, amazing people on here. And I think that this is going to represent them really well. So it's been great. So
0: thanks again to studio three Oh one. Yeah. If you guys want to learn more about studio three Oh one, go check out the links down in the show notes, help support Kyle and local teams here in Columbus and, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the interview. It actually, so it kind of reminds me, and maybe I'm completely off base here, but it kind of reminds me of how people do security tests for IT, right, infrastructure, where you'll send someone, you have, like, people that are actual hackers, and they'll go in and try and hack right. the system, right? So you guys are kind of trying to test for vulnerabilities yeah. across the six areas, and you come back and say, hey, here's what we found. Is that...
2: Yeah, it's exactly right. In the military, that's called red teaming, mm-hmm. um, and we did that. We did that in in Iraq, taking somebody out of commission um, and having them objectively probe, penetrate, infiltrate your system. Um, they, they. I mean, they do that. I know that they do that now in 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 the secure in IT security all over all over the place. That is a, that is uh, at, a, at a high level very similar to what we do.
0: So jump from there. As that's grown, how long ago did Cover My Six become its own its own entity?
2: Um, that's a four three four years ago maybe. Okay. We and- we've been doing them for seven and a half years, mm-hmm. um, but it became its own brand, and there is a Cover My Six LLC. Which I won't get into the nuances of legal ethics. There's aspects to what Cover My Six is that can only be done by lawyers and a law firm from an ethical standpoint, and so it is. So they are done only by the Gertzberg Law Firm. So, uh, but Cover My Six LLC, for whatever it's worth and whatever it is, has been around for just a couple of years. Okay,
0: and as that's gone on, I guess over time, how is That changed your role, what you're doing, and what are maybe some of the key initiatives you're working on today?
2: I try as much as possible to spend my time, my professional time, doing architecture on the business kind of work, strategy, high-level direction, quarterbacking. Cover My Six really crystallized that role for me more than anything else. Prior to the first couple years that I I was running the firm, I was like like every other entrepreneur. I wore every hat. I did our own. I did our billing, our marketing. I was the only guy there, you know. And then, as I I was mentioning earlier, um, slowly over the last seven years, seven and a half years, I have become a true believer that founders and leaders, the best thing they can do is outsource everything. That doesn't necessarily mean outside the company, but outsource it off of your shoulders. Everyone has, you guys have your, your own unique ability, right? You have one thing that you do really, really well, um, and then a whole lot of other things that you do fairly well. If you can focus as much of your time and energy on the things that you do really, really well, better than anybody else you know, let other people do that other stuff, you know? You're maximizing your output that way. And that's kind of what happened at my firm and at Cover My Six.
1: So, what are the goals like for the future for you and the team?
2: We want to. Uh, we we actually so um, do you guys do anything with EOS or traction?
1: Familiar with it, yeah, yeah. like big rocks and. Yes,
2: yeah. exactly. So, our five-year goal is to close thirty-four hundred matters at or above the client's expectations. That is the easiest and most crystal clear way to define where we're going. Everything we do at the firm and at Cover My Six is geared towards meeting or exceeding the client's expectations, meeting their goals at the earliest point in time and for the least amount of their money. People don't go to, I mean, still, even with Cover My Six, people don't go to lawyers to hang out or to have a good time. They come to lawyers to solve a problem and do it, under budget and on time or earlier. And even with Cover My Six, even though it's a proactive sort of shield, um, it's still something that we try to do in that same vein, on time, on uh, on or under budget, meeting or exceeding the client's expectations every time. So when we do that 3,400 times within the next five years, we will have achieved our goal.
0: What about personal goals? Anything you got on your your roadmap for just yourself,
2: Mike? That's a great question. Um, so, I want to I want to spend one month of every year living in another country, preferably with my girlfriend, and with some combination of my children. Um, I want to. I, I've been working on a book for the last couple years. I want to finish it. I want to publish it and I want to keep writing books. I want to learn to scuba dive. I have a, uh, I have a Harley V-Rod that I'm committed to driving across the country and, uh, and dip the back tire in the Atlantic and the front tire into the Pacific. I want to learn to play guitar. <laughs> How far do you want me to go? You got, you got, it sounds like you got a lot of things <laughs> on are the, this list. Those are, I think about goals all the time. Yeah, I, I do. I think it's really important. Um, uh, can I can I flip that to you guys? Let first me ask guess, Let sure. me ask you the same questions. Okay. Personal and business goals.
0: Josh, you want to go first or no?
2: No, I'll let you take no, this. all
0: right. <laughs> so business goals, uh, main thing on my list for this year is ramping our team. We've got some young folks here at FMX, and I'm trying to get them ramped and get them, get them selling to a place where they're comfortable and can kind of fly out on their own uh, and meet our quarterly annual goals, of course, you know. Um I'd also like to get an MBA here in the next three to five years. And then on the more personal side, I'm getting married in June, so I want to buy a house here in the next two Congrats. or three years. That's, yep. Uh, I want to make sure that all goes smoothly. Uh, and I would like to get down below the 90s on average in golf because I, play, I want to get back to wow. playing more golf. I used to play a lot, don't play so much anymore, and I'd like to get back in the 80s uh, in my golf game. So those are kind of the few things that are on my list.
2: You know what's great about those goals? They're all very specific, mm-hmm. very measurable. Those are definite, smart goals. Right. Every one of them. Yeah. Well,
0: it. you know, luckily I had a uh, I had a pretty good leader here at FMX who beat sparkles into me yeah. for a while. So,
2: your turn, Josh.
1: Yeah, I'm more high level. I don't I don't make super granular goals because I feel like it kind of pigeonholes me and and when I do uh, certain approaches in life. But at a high level, of business side, so. Um, the company I'm working for now, we're trying to build out our go-to-market strategy and uh, sell our first 15 to 20 units of our product over the course of this year. So that's going to be a major initiative that I'll be focused on, um, working on launching a side business um, outside of that. So trying to grow that to over 100000 maybe $200,000 in revenue would be uh, a huge win. And then uh, possibly from like a professional standpoint, depending on how things go in maybe the next two to three years. Uh, maybe a Ph.D. in, in business strategy, I thought oh, wow. about going back and um, maybe like diving deeper into that. So I've, I've found a lot of passion in just doing the strategy component of, of the different businesses that I've worked on. Um, personal, trying to get my skydiving license this year. Wow. So I'd be excited That's to get awesome. that in. Yeah, it'd be good. Um, How many one, jumps do you
2: have to have to, to get that?
1: So it's, I think it's 22, and you have to do it over the course of like a set period of time. So between any given jump, I don't think it could be more than 14 days in between those. Wow. Okay. So I've done, and then you have like this master class in the beginning you have to go through. Uh, so I've done the master class once. It expired, so I have to go back through and do that again. Um, but some people will do it over the course of like three days. You can get all 21 jumps in pretty quick. And then uh, I was going to go for, I want to climb all seven summits, and I was going to go for the first one uh, this year. In Colorado? Uh, Hmm. no, there's, there's the one in Alaska is the first one's Denali. Um, so, and then it goes from there to, I can't name them all. Everest is Kilimanjaro one. Um, I believe Kilimanjaro is one. They're like all a little bit over 15,000 feet, I think.
2: Okay. So there's seven climbable summits over 15,000 feet. Those are the ones you're trying to climb.
1: Yeah. So, so what they call the seven summits are the seven, the, the tallest one on each continent. Um, so I wanted to wow. go for the first one this year, but the climbs are—they're uh, not cheap by any means. So, and it's pretty time-consuming. You got to go out there for like a week to acclimate, go through the training course, another week to climb, another week to come back. So, sure. taking three weeks off right now with everything going on is not—not
2: not super realistic. So, so so w- you've done some already, or I've have... I've done okay, none. Yeah, it, I have it. zero. Have
1: climbing you climbed experience. Like a Hill? Uh, you know, I've definitely walked up some steep. Uh, curbs and stuff, so I think I'm pretty geared up for it. Pretty <laughs> avid runner, so yeah. I think I got that. And then I think the final one, uh, me and a buddy are trying to, we tried to break the Guinness World Record for the fastest marathon in a two-person costume for Jenny's Ice Cream about a year ago, and uh, we failed at mile 16. He tore his groin, <laughs> oh, so we're gonna we're gonna go back and uh, me and another individual I think are gonna try again this year in the Columbus Marathon. So wow. we'll see how that goes.
0: So yeah, so my goals sound really lame now. Uh, no,
1: not but, at all. You're,
2: you guys have great goals. Yeah, but uh, them I'm surprised, Josh, yeah.
0: that throwing the best bachelor party ever is not on your list. Well, that's goals. already accomplished. Right, it's already done. I've already planned that out. So, okay. Well, I think that's a good place to kind of pivot towards uh, some of our last questions of the show. Uh, so, first one, any advice for listeners out there? A lot of younger folks, entrepreneurs, people 20 to 35 usually, yeah. and everywhere in between, though. So, you know, we kind of have – just living here in yeah. Columbus – that have interest in business and maybe doing their own
2: thing. Yeah, I do. And it's very specific. Um, and and then, um, do you guys care if I ask, I've got more questions for you. Okay. So you, we're getting flipped. So you stop the script, but, but but I don't want to hijack your podcast either. So stop me if you want me to (laughs) stop asking questions. But so my piece of advice is to read this book that changed my life. It's called the success principles by a guy named Jack Canfield. You ever read that book? I have not. I, I, I read it um uh i want to say about 15 years ago and i refer back to it constantly and i it was one of those books that when i read it it was just like one aha moment after another to the point where i felt like i needed to execute everything in it uh, in writing and plan it out um that book changed my life i would recommend it to anybody what book changed your life
1: Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. I think is probably the most. I've had a couple that I think have had strong impacts on my life, but that's probably the the most profound impact.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a that's a famous one. I've never read that, but I I hear that a lot from people. That's
1: it's rooted a lot in faith. So I if you're not if that's not where you you find your center, it probably wouldn't be the best one. But mm. if that's something that you believe in in some some uh, I
0: guess element, then it would be good. Yeah. So one of my favorites is a little different. It's called Learned Optimism by Dr. Martin Seligman.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And positive psychology. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's a big one for me because I'd always considered. So the way this all came about is we had a guy come in named Chet Scott. He's been on the show here. He runs a program called Built the Lead. It's all about building leaders and positive thinkers. Mm-hmm. He came to the wrestling program and uh, he, had us take a, uh, he had us take a quiz on optimism while we were there. And I've always thought I was an optimistic person. optimistic person. Got the score on the quiz. What do you think I got? Negative 13. Very pessimistic. Is that right? Very pessimistic. And I, the first thing I said, ah, oh, this test has got to be messed up, yeah. man. It can't be the test. <laughs> you were pessimistic. Right? <laughs> exactly. And eventually I kind of realized that, and he kept talking about this book. And I think it shows a lot of great examples. And talks about how important it is to think optimistically and, yeah. and continue to grow and have that growth mindset so i that was a good one
2: yeah I'm re- i gotta read that uh, do you have more questions because i do
0: we got one last one but if All you right. want to hit us with a couple no. more we'll give you i'll give you two more you got right. two right. go
2: what is the habit or routine that you do on a regular basis that gives you the most mileage
0: when you say mileage you mean like gives me the the most like Ability to keep going through De- Define or? it
2: any way you want. The most energy, the most traction, the most results, however you want to define it. Okay. Habit or routine that you do on a regular basis that's giving you the most mileage.
1: I think mine's a series of things. I'm very habitual and I have to, it starts in the morning, so like I always have to work out in the morning. And then once I do that, I have to get in to work at a certain period of time and accomplish like two or three things that I, that I feel are significant or worthy for the day to get the ball rolling. because yeah. if all of a sudden 11, 12 o'clock hits and I worked on a bunch of things but I didn't check anything off my list, I just don't have that momentum and mentally it, it like eats me alive. Um, so I have to split up and be strategic about what I accomplish and when I accomplish it yeah. in order if I want to get anything out of my day.
0: I think for me it would be 30 minutes of reading, no matter what it is. Doesn't have to be is. It doesn't have to be anything particular, self-improvement, right, or anything like that just something yeah whether that's the wall street journal or a good book that i like or a self-improvement book or something for work but 30 minutes of just sitting down quietly and reading shut off everything and when i'm i'm the type of person when i'm reading you can't even talk to me like i won't hear you unless you tap me on the shoulder so that gets me a lot of it gives me both rest when i need it but also self-improvement things like that so 30 minutes a day i always try and get at least that in
2: Hmm yeah that's a that's a, a good compounding one too, mm-hmm. right That builds on itself. Uh, mind's meditation um, that that has that has definitely changed my life in terms of consistency. and that's also for me anyway, very compounding too um
0: i've been thinking about meditation I, the problem is i don't think i'm the most distractible person in the world so it's yeah. I, every time i think about it i'm like well i'm gonna think about this. like i just get distracted except
2: when you're reading except when so, i'm reading right?
0: yeah right but i get my reading in when i can't so yeah. it's like yeah, kind of like whenever i can i get 30 minutes and it's so yeah i think i'd be interested in learning a little more about meditation though, and how
2: there's good happen. apps mm-hmm. good apps out there 10 percent happier and headspace are two really good apps if you want to give it a shot. But it, I, it was, for me, it's been, I've got horrible ADD, horrible. And um, uh, I can get, I get a lot more control over my attention and my thoughts, concentration from consistent meditation, among a, a bunch of other benefits. Um, can you think, all right, last one. Can you think of a, is this annoying that I'm asking you guys questions <laughs> on your podcast?
0: <laughs> I like flipping the script. I like it. I enjoy
2: it. All right. So this one. So okay. Um, I have a lightning round at the end of my podcast, and there's like ten questions. And the irony of the lightning round is there's nothing fast about it. It takes up the entire second half of the uh, of the podcast. Um, can you think of a an assumption that you had for a long time that you later realized was total bullshit?
0: You asked the tough questions,
2: huh? <laughs> I realized at one point after doing this for a long time that a lot of those questions um, are uh, very similar to like college entrance exam questions, like right about this. And I, like, I, totally unintentionally, but.
1: I think I've always assumed that things that come easy to me come easy to everybody else, and they provide, they're not valuable or things that I should like. Should I, not things that I think can really provide value. So let's talk about like just sales or being process-oriented or like operations. And then as I've gone on personally and professionally, realize that they've provided the most value out of anything mm. that I've done.
2: That's a good one.
0: So for me, and I'm not sure you could call this an assumption, but I always assumed that... I was good at like talking to people and communicating and an effective negotiator. But I think what I found out after reading 7 Habits of Highly Effective People mm-hmm. was that I was more of a I was willing to take a loss oftentimes. I'm a helper personality. I want to help people and you right. Know, what I figured out was that I wasn't actually like good at handling people I was just good at kind of I was going with the flow and letting people kind of do whatever they wanted and realizing that that assumption of like well just being a kind person and being a kind person the assumption that being a kind person means helping other people all the time right not necessarily true right you got to go for a win-win you have to get something for yourself to have effective relationships and effective growth so that was one of the big ones for me that changed a little bit, and a lot of bit actually, about the way I approach situations, and the way that I talk with people day to day.
2: Those are those really good. Both of your answers are really good. Mine was that um, when someone does something that pisses you off, the first, um, the first thought that I have about what motivates them is almost always wrong my assumption is that I can figure out why somebody did the thing they did. But when, when it's, when it, when it pisses me off, um, now I realize that I'm going to be wrong most of the time about what motivated them. In fact, they probably weren't even thinking about me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, you guys should feel free to cut out all of the questions that I asked you. (laughs) This is your podcast and I don't mean to, uh, uh ask inane questions i i i my my curiosity gets the better of me i apologize Well, i I enjoyed it i think they
0: were good questions so a good place to pivot towards our last question of the show centered around the theme here on conquering columbus which is live uncomfortably and without telling you too much about why we picked that particular phrase what do you think of when you hear it and how does it apply Mm. to your life and
2: career what a great question um There is a great quote by this author named Aeneas Nin that says that your, that that life's possibilities expand or contract in direct proportion to one's courage. And I think that having the courage to push yourself outside of your comfort zone is what she's talking about. It, It, living uncomfortably opens up a world of possibilities for you if you stay inside your comfort zone then you're automatically limited your fearlessness courage those emotions break through comfort in a way that when you get to the other side of that you can do anything you start seeing things that you didn't see you start feeling capable to do things that you otherwise wouldn't feel capable to do, you just have a lot more options. So the more, I, th- I love that question. The mo- I think that the more you can live uncomfortably in the sense of pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone, the better your life, frankly. Is that what you guys think? What What, what is your, how, what's your, now you have to tell me what, what you're thinking with it. We,
0: we uh, got this one turned around on us. And, uh, <laughs> I think we've, we've answered this once or twice, but I, I'd be curious to see how my answer has changed over time. I think tying it back into what I said earlier about the win-win, living uncomfortably to me is, you know, for me, it's, yeah, it's, it's pushing yourself further every day, a little bit, just a little bit outside your comfort zone every day and continually growing that sphere, right? Um, but I think it's also realizing that the more you push yourself, the further you get outside your comfort zone, it's kind of like the circle of knowledge, Right that as that circle expands, the more you realize that there's just all this stuff out there right. that you don't know or you'd be uncomfortable in. Yeah. Just kinda knowing that in your life if you're not in that zone, then you're not moving forward. And then additionally it's also, you know, integrity, the you know, the, the values that I hold important to me, integrity and responsibility, hard work, discipline. Those are all uncomfortable things sometimes, and you have to be willing to get uncomfortable to to do them. Right. So that's what I think about. Josh?
1: Yeah, I think um, we used to do, there used to be a quote on a wrestling role that said, the pain of discipline, the pain of regret, and I think that to me it probably means that constantly doing what I know is right deep down and being disciplined so I don't regret it later on, even when it's uncomfortable. But also – Um, whether it's, like, the sick side from wrestling that's been developed in me. But even if I accomplish something that's – if somebody handed me $100 million tomorrow, like, I mean, that would be awesome. But it's that that it was just given to me, that it wouldn't have the same meaning to me as if I had to sacrifice a tremendous amount to get it. So I think the living uncomfortably aspects of my life are the reasons that I appreciate – than not being uncomfortable, you know, on Friday at eight o'clock, you know, like, so it provides me perspective on what really is good in life by, by going through difficult things yeah. on a regular basis.
2: Oh, uh-huh. that's interesting. It, it's interesting how there's some overlap there, but very different interpretations. What was the quote live on, co- uh, I'm sorry, uh, pain is discipline, pain
1: it's the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. So that it says the there's of, two pains in life, the pain okay. of discipline or
2: the pain of regret. The pain of discipline and the pain of regret. That's magical. That's amazing. I love that.
0: Yeah. yeah. It also ties back to our coach, Tom Ryan, used to call it uh, – he'd call it intentional suffering or, you know, he'd always come to practice and say, hey, we're going to suffer today because suffering is the way you get better. Yeah. So I, I, I it really – was a lot back to wrestling yeah. and the training we got. But, uh, Alex, it's been great having yeah, you Yeah, thank thanks you guys so very much. much. For
2: Sorry for hijacking there at the end. No. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. But you guys have a great show here, and I'm going to be listening to it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Perfect. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. That was Alex Gertzberg. You want to learn more about him, his law firm, cover my six, or his podcast, check out the links down in the show notes. And, again, we appreciate your support. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is
1: a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org, that's smallbizcares.org. Dot O-R-G.
0: Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities
1: maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself. become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard.
2: I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make
1: a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be
2: average. This is Conquering Columbus.